Tonight on Fast, record highs on Wall Street to kick off the new year. And one top strategist says this could be just the beginning. What Fast Money friend Tom Lee sees for the start of 2022. Plus, travel nightmares. Thousands of flights canceled over the weekend. Hundreds more still in peril. What the holiday delays could mean for airlines and the rest of the travel industry. And a semi-standout, the long-lagging chip stock that made a big breakthrough today. What it is and why it caught the eye of one of our traders. This is Fast Money for 2022. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour. Karen Feinerman and Dan Nathan. Happy New Year, everyone. We begin with a record start for this new year for the markets. The S&P and Dow closing at new all-time highs to kick off 2022. The Nasdaq jumping more than a percent, but all eyes on this historic move by Apple, the company becoming the first in the world to a market cap of $3 trillion, the tech giant adding its last trillion in just 16 months. So will the stock continue to be a leader in the new year? Guy, what do you think? Hi, Melms. Hi. Certainly feels that way, right? And Wedbush had a note out today. They, they attributed one and a half, tri- half their market cap to the services business. And there's obviously a like, lot to like here. Karen and Tim have been on this for years. Dan talks about it all the time. You know, will it be a leader? It's interesting. I think Apple, and it was late that they actually got across the finish line, but it was up 34%, I think, last year. Brought a market up 29%. And it probably outperformed just over the last month, month and a half. So, yeah, I think it'll do exactly that. I think it'll be a market performer to slightly outperform. And Steve Grasso tweeted this today, and there's probably a lot of truth to it. Now that it's gotten to that $3 trillion mark, the next sort of obstacle or the next uh, <laughs> threshold is going to be $200 a share. And quite frankly, there's every indication it's going to get there. Yeah, I mean, we have to think about what is next for Apple, don't we, Dan? Or do we not? Is it all, can we, can we get to the next milestone with services and, and not revolutionary new products, but evolutionary products. Yeah, I mean, they're iterative, right, Mel? And I mean, really what you're getting at is there's something that around an automobile, whether it be autonomy or something like that. And that would be a heck of a service. They don't even need to do much um, as far as hardware is concerned. You know, guys said Dan talks about it all the time. I mean, listen, you know, this is a universally loved stock. It's not one that, for instance, that I have picked individually, but it's becoming an increasingly part of anybody's portfolio who owns a SPY or a QQQ ETF or mutual funds that track them. And you think about it's seven percent nearly of the s&p 500 it's nearly 12 percent of the nasdaq 100 this is a company that's trading about 32 times this year's expected earnings that are only expected to grow two percent on about four percent sales growth now obviously they have a very stable gross margin about 42 percent but that is very much predicated on services and them growing off this one and a half billion ios installed base so to me this is a very expensive stock that's just rallied 30 percent in the last three months um like guy said it's up about 55 percent or so from those january 2020 lows but make no mistake about it this stock will sell off and you will have the opportunity to buy it it sold off from its highs in january to its lows in march of 2021 about 20 percent and it had about two percent two ten percent sell-off so Buying it up here at an all-time high when enthusiasm is at record highs doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, that sales growth number that Dan had mentioned, the, the, the consensus on facts said at least is 5% annually for the next three years, Karen. So is it worth what you're paying for Apple right now for that growth? Um, that's an excellent question. It's the, the $3 trillion question, I guess. I mean, is it worth it right now? We'll see. I think that the expectations never end up being quite exactly what Apple ends up earning. So it's not cheap, for sure. It's not cheap. I'm long. 
I don't know when to sell it, right? And then I have to figure out when am I going to get back in? I agree with Dan. We, we absolutely could see sell-offs here, multiple sell-offs in this name. I will buy more if that happens, but I'm still not inclined to sell it here. I don't have a much better idea to put the money where to put the money. And they've continually been able to come up with new things. We're going to see some refreshes later this year. I think that uh, 5G still has legs. So I'm staying long, even though I recognize it is expensive. I asked this qu- question earnestly, Tim, and that is, do we really care about $3 tr- trillion dollars in market cap? Is that just a number that we like to seize on? Or is there actual significance to this in, in terms of Apple being the largest company in the world at this point? Does it change anything? Well, well, well this- Happy New Year, by the way. And, and, you know, the first thing that that I think that Dan talked about in terms of just the flows of capital. So that's what's significant here. This is the biggest stock in the universe. This is a stock uh, that's up 130 percent from pre-COVID. So let's let's be clear for anyone that said that Apple is underperformed. You know, there's no way the stock is underperformed. It's outperformed. It's outperformed the S&P by 65 percent from pre-COVID. From the COVID low, it's even outperformed uh, the the S&P by 52 percent. So, yeah, there have been a couple periods. And until that November 15th to year and rally where it outperformed the S&P by 20%, it's underperformed. In the sense that this is the biggest stock in the world at a time when liquidity is flowing, central banks have opened the spigot, um, it, is an ex- it is a significant number because I think um, we're going to have a big year in 2022 where we're, at least we're watching central banks removing that liquidity. The most important thing about Apple, the stock, is that the multiple has re-rated on the back of the services business. So if you listen to Wedbush, who says it's going to be a $100 billion services business by 24, um, that's a massive business that deserves probably a 30 times or greater multiple relative to peers. And again, that would be significantly less of a multiple than a lot of other folks that would be trading on a software or recurring revenue multiple. The hardware business is trading at 15 times in the best product cycle of its lifetime. Um, So in this market, Apple's an own. But um, as everyone has said, be careful where you're buying it. Yeah. um, The other thing to consider with Apple guy is that Apple is a huge buyer of its own shares, which has helped. I mean, Ed Lee tweeted this out earlier, and it's basically a two-panel <laughs> chart. The top chart is either market cap or stock price. Take your pick. And the bottom is shares outstanding. Apple bought $85.5 billion worth of stock in 2021. And Bernstein's Tony Sakanagi says it can buy back 3 to 4% of shares outstanding and not adding any net debt through 2026. It is creating its own floor under the stock guy. Yeah, the, yeah, it's pretty amazing, right? That added with the fact that passive investing and how many ETFs and mutual funds that Apple's in. I mean, you can start doing the math and you can understand as money flows, news cycle and the news that we talk about sometimes is it's, it's, it's rendered moot. Uh, I'll say this, though, quickly. They probably get penalized crazy enough for the amount of cash they have on their balance sheet. You can make an argument that they actually put that to work in a more productive way than just buying back their stock. The stock and their rating would actually be higher. So, you know, a quarter of a trillion dollars or so sitting around on their balance sheet. Again, I, my sense is that's probably not a net positive. It's probably to some shareholders or some investors a net negative. What do you want Apple to do with its cash, Karen? Uh, buy Google shares. I actually would think Google should buy Google <laughs> shares. I, I think Apple's doing the right thing, right? I feel I disagree with Guy on that in that I think that as they buy back stock and they just, you know, reduce the, the float, the EPS goes higher and the market is given that higher EPS, a higher multiple. So I think they've done a really good job of cash management. 
I, I mean, they do have debt, not that they're, they're, you know, they're plenty able to service way more debt than they even have. So I think they've done a really good job with uh, financial engineering, and uh, I wish that Alphabet would do the same thing. All right. Well, speaking of winners last year, winners today, we want to know if uh, one out there should stick with the same strategy in this new year or if we should shake things up. Now, you might remember that we tasked our traders at the start of 2021 with coming up with the acronym they thought would rule the market that year. Tim's Rise, Rio Tinto, IWM, Schlumberger, and Emerging Markets. On average, that trade was up more than 9% last year. So, Tim, we go to you tonight. Do you stick with this or do you mix things up? Well, I, I love mixing things up, Mel, so I have to mix things up. And, and I have a new acronym for 22. Uh, and and the, the acronym would be LIVE, L-I-V-E. And that's a function of just the world we live in. I think people after 21 need to go out and live. But uh, so let's break it down. Um, the L in LIVE is Las Vegas Sands. And it's, it's a bit of a, uh, a, of a coming out party for other hospitality stocks as well. But look, what happened at casinos in 2021 is a function of both Omicron, Delta variants, but also China and China-related travel immobility um, is devastating. The multiple is cut in half. So I think um, it's a great way to play what I think is going to be hospitality and coming out stocks. Um, the I is for internet stocks. And that really are, you know, some of these high multiple stocks that were crushed in 2021, despite the fact that the Internet story continues to be the great secular story of our time. Um, But the most notable hit to that space was in China. Again, the Chinese Internet stock. So it's K-Web is the way I would play that, um, because I think after being down 66 percent from the high, there's a huge opportunity here. And I think China um, is starting to step back from, uh, uh, you know, the aggressive pressure on these names. Uh, The V is the VIX. And frankly, look, we all know there's going to be more Fed in 2022 and 2023. And to me, more Fed equals more volatility. And I think investors need to be selective about this uh, because there's vol within vol. But owning volatility in 2022 is critical. And then the E is energy again. So not Schlumberger, but the entire energy space. Look, if you look at the charts, if you look at Brent, I think a a function of supply and demand having uh, really reached a place where both make sense, but that these companies, you hear me say it, are run for, for investors, not necessarily for company management and growth at all costs. I think energy will be a trade for investors in 2022, not just traders. So it outperformed significantly in 21, but I think you're going to see significant flows here in 22. All right. So Liv is Tim's. Uh, Karen, now in 2021, Karen's acronym was WTF, which I thought was very funny. Walmart, TJX, and FedEx, the major gainer in that group, TJX. So Karen, what's your acronym for 2022? Well, my acronym still for 21 is WTF. I mean, that was just really disappointing. And Tim, I'm glad yours is live, not evil, which would be the same. But anyway, so mine is zombie. Um, And that is Zillow, which uh, we've talked about a lot. I love that they got out of the iBuying business. I love the assets that they have left. And I love that the stock got absolutely crushed. So that's the first one. The second one is the OIH. I, too, want to have exposure to energy for all of the reasons that Tim just said. It fits my acronym nicely, and I do own it, so that's why I picked the OIH. But it could be expressed that bet a lot of other ways. The third one is meta platforms. I think that there is no meta priced in to meta platforms. So I've liked Facebook for a long time. We all know the headwinds they face in terms of regulation, and they're really in the doghouse in terms of, you know, what they do for society. But in terms of cash flow generation and a great business with huge margins, 
I'm staying long this name. And then the last one is banks. And, you know, it would be great if we could annualize today's performance for banks all year. I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think they set up nicely. We had a very big move in the 210 today, more than 10 percent, albeit off a very low base. But I think that as the Fed raises, you're going to want to be in low P.E. stocks. And I think banks fit the bill. So that is my acronym for 2022. Zombie. Guy, what do you think of zombie, which is spelled Z-O-M-B? Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how to spell it. That's, you know, it's difficult for me. Well, Zillow, I think she's spot on. Because if you go back, we had people come from the Irisone conference. And a lot of were at least two people, I think, where Zillow was their best bet. And then it sold off precipitously. So I think she's getting it at a great level. So I'm with her on the zombie. Um, and Meta, I said it 100 times. I hate everything about the company. But Karen is spot on. The Meta portion probably hasn't been priced in. That's going to do well for her this year. By the way, we did already ask Guy and, and Dan. Guy's was... Dawn, and uh, Dan's was AARP. All right, so where should you be invested in the new year? We want to ask Fast Money friend Tom Lee. Tom is a managing partner of Fundstrat and a CNBC contributor. Tom, great to have you back. Um, 51,000 is your target. You think it may be conservative, and this is based on history um, stats that were pulled by your, your data guy at Fundstrat. What did you find? Uh, yes, uh, our head of data science is tireless Ken. Um, and uh, he does work 24 hours. Maybe there's two of them. Um, but what he looked at was uh, two things. One is uh, market performance after the S&P posts more than 27% gains, which is what happened last year, and the median return since 1938 is uh, 16%. So that implies S&P 5,600. And the second vector is midterm election years, and uh, in years where the Control is Democratic trifecta, which is what we have today. Uh, second half gains tend to be 16%. So uh, I think we're in a year where we'll be constantly surprised by the market's resilient. The first half, I think, is quite tough, but I think that the full year is going to be very strong. What does quite, uh, quite tough mean? I think 2022 is probably the first year that I the, the highest probability of a 10% correction Um as you know, many kind of called for that last year, but we had pointed out that a drawdown that big wasn't uh, historically uh, supported. But I think this year uh, there's a chance that, you know, we could r- rally to 5,000, you know, in January and then pull back towards, uh, you know, something pretty ugly uh, by the summer. But I, I don't think that that uh, should, should be viewed as a top. I think it's just going to feel gut-wrenching kind of agree with your outlook here and you know 5100 from here is not a far cry but if we do have that pretty sharp sell-off that you think comes at some point this year then it's a good rally off the lows do you get concerned you just heard our conversation about apple at three trillion dollars in market cap are some of these mega cap stocks becoming too big to fail are they too big of the components of the major indices here and might we have a hiccup because there's been no hiccups in these names and are they the ones that are going to lead us lower when we do have that correction uh well without question s&p is becoming a tech index um because of the weight and you know the best companies in america are basically technology healthcare, and and banks i mean that's really the three <laughs> big sectors of the s&p uh, we, we think Fang's going to be one of the outperformers in 2022 because the PEs derated last year. And so we think the chances of the Fang stocks, including Meta and Apple, having PE contraction is low. So they're going to track earnings growth. So I, I think Fang could be up 30% this year. 
Uh, and as you guys are using acronyms, I mean, our top three groups are, you know, Bitcoin-related equities, um, energy stocks, and FANG, uh, which is beef. <laughs> Tom, you're always <laughs> willing to play, and we always appreciate that. <laughs> Tom Lee yeah. of Fundstrat with his beef tray. <laughs> Tim, what do you think of beef? <laughs> I, I know where the beef is, and, and I do think, uh, as we talked about some of the FANG names, there are places that the multiples make sense. I, I you know, look, uh, on Bit, Bitcoin and crypto-related equities, um, you know, that's the part of this that I still think investors are finding the, the hardest place to really put their allocations in the stock market. They're not having any problems allocating towards towards crypto. So I, I would just say uh, one of the dynamics we saw in 21 was that crypto money was flowing back and forth. Uh, and I do believe as a function of the wealth created there, the overall market is going higher. So if crypto is going higher, we know where the beef is and the beef is certainly going to be in the market. I'm an acronym within an acronym. I'm not sure if that's legal in acronym land, <laughs> um, Dan, but what do you, what, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, listen, I, I think it is the mega caps that lead us lower. And, you know, I think it's really important to understand that last year there was plenty of investors who were looking at the fundamentals of companies. And Tom just talked about derating. Well, we're seeing growth decelerate even among these mega cap names. And maybe there's further re-rating of some of these things. And if you look in just in some of the Internet space, I mean, Twitter and Snap, they closed down on the year. Those were not great years, and there was no shortage of other innovative technology names. We could look at the art complex that traded really poorly. So I think that comes to large cap land. I think the best case scenario for 2022 is that it happens earlier than later because we don't want it really to steamroll. We want it to get some fear um, out of this market. And lastly, I'll just say this, back to Tim's acronym, I really like that K-Web. You know, we had an, uh, we had Carter Braxton Worth on a couple weeks ago talking about Shanghai Composite, very near a breakout at all-time highs. You look at the devastation in some of these names and the reasons why I think you want to focus out of maybe some of the larger cap industrial and banks in China and focus on some of these internet names. So I like his K-Web. Coming up, travel trouble. Airlines kicking off the new year with some turbulence, canceling more than 1,800 flights since Christmas Eve. So how will the travel stocks fare? The details ahead. Plus, Tesla's electric year, <laughs> one day old year. Um, the EV maker posting record fourth quarter deliveries and entering the new year fully charged. We got the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Tesla surging more than 13% after the EV maker posted record deliveries last quarter, wrapping up the year with more than 900,000 EVs delivered. Let's get to Phil LeBeau, who's got the details. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa, much better than expected numbers, much better than expected because nobody was close to uh, expecting well over 900,000 vehicles to be delivered for the entire year. The consensus was 897. Take a look at the annual sales growth for Tesla. And we're going all the way back to the beginning here. This is a chart that I think if Elon Musk would have said, hey, this is what our trajectory is going to be over the next 10 years. Initially, people would have scoffed. He did say that they would have growth in an S-curve. Uh, at first, but then it would take off, and it has taken off. 936,000, topping that number for last year. By the way, that's 87% growth compared to 2020. Sets up the question, what can we expect next year? The consensus on FactSet is for 1.34 million Teslas to be delivered. If that happens, from where they are right now, that would be 43% growth. And remember, they've got the Texas and Berlin plants that are scheduled to open shortly. They'll be ramping up production 
feeding more of the demand that is out there. But some people are saying, wait, 43%. I think that the number is going to be much higher for 2022 deliveries. Adam Jonas put out a note today raising the question, could they hit 2 million? And he wrote, at this point, we'd still describe 2 million as a stretch target. But no one that looks, but one that looks far more realistic following 4Q deliveries. We will get more information in terms of what Elon Musk and the Tesla team believe they can provide for 2022 when the company reports its Q4 earnings later this month or early next month. Going into that, RBC, JP Morgan, Deutsche Bank all raising their estimates for the fourth quarter. We may see other firms do the same thing as we move a little bit closer to that earnings report. Remember, the uh, interesting thing to keep in mind is that you have Tesla reporting its deliveries today. Tomorrow, we will hear from the rest of the auto industry. We'll hear their Q4 numbers as well as 2021 for, quote unquote, the internal combustion engine companies. They're also doing EVs, but primarily we're talking about ICE manufacturers here, GM, Ford, and Toyota. Let's see what the reaction is when those numbers come tomorrow. But today, clearly Tesla's day with far better than expected numbers for the fourth quarter and for all of 2021. That is some forecast um, from Adam Jonas, and I know that there are a lot of conditions surrounding that statement, Phil, but to, to say even that doubling its production um, next year, or I should say this year, we're in this year, we're in next year, <laughs> right. um, is pretty bold. I'm wondering from your standpoint, Phil, I mean, in terms of, of you know, chip shortages and, and supply chain issues, Tesla was able to navigate them completely and deliver more than what they thought. Yes. How did that happen? Well, a lot of this has, Elon Musk talked about this after the third quarter, and that was the surprise quarter that I think a lot of people said, wait a second, we thought operations would be the weakness for Tesla as they continues to grow as an automaker. And they showed that they can handle the chip crisis. They've done a number of things to make it so they do not have as much reliance on certain chips, as well as working with certain chip suppliers to make sure that, quote unquote, they are the ones who get the chips as quickly as possible. And as a result, they've been able to navigate this situation far better than others. Look, I think it was Daimler's CTO is out today, Melissa, saying they expect that the chip situation to be a scarce one in the first quarter. And here you've got Tesla continuing to grow and continuing to ramp up production. It really has people rethinking how they look at Tesla when it comes to manufacturing. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. Um, Karen, as Phil had mentioned, we're going to get the legacy automakers to report their their deliveries tomorrow. I'm wondering, it's going to be a real story of of of, con- of contrasts um, in terms contrasts, I should say, contrasts, contrasts, I should say, in terms of how people are navigating the supply chain issues. Right. I mean, we saw that in market contrast the last quarter, the one that Phil was talking about, how it didn't affect Tesla the same way it did GM, although I would point out the number of cars GM makes is materially bigger. So it would make sense that it's harder to get that many more chips. But that having been said, Tesla clearly did a better job. I hope we get some clarity from them. I I would think that we will also see big numbers from them. But uh, it was interesting, though. I was just reviewing with with GM up so much today that Adam Jonas piece from late December, where he values their uh, ICE business, the internal combustion engine, at zero and their EV business at 51 and then a bunch of other assets to get to 75. But 
that that's I, I, I I'm not exactly sure how he came up with the 51, but it's so interesting to me that even with years of cash flow from the ice business, he has it at zero. Hmm. I'm long, so it was a hope big... he's right one way or the other, the yeah. 75 or somewhere else. Right. Um, it was a big day overall for EV makers. The Chinese, one, Chinese ones in particular, all of them were reporting earnings. Lee, Xpeng, Neo, Guy. And Neo is the N in your dawn trade. <laughs> you are sharp as a tack. <laughs> yes, it is. And it's actually, I think it was a couple of weeks ago where Neo traded, I think, 28. And we talked about it finally capitulating on the downside. And I, I think this name... I hate to use this term, but it feels like it's a bit of a coiled spring. I think people are going to talk about them. And look at Neo's deliveries in December, up 50% year over year. So there's some room there. In terms of Tesla, you know, I think we've done a collectively a pretty good job with this stock. You know, we said it would trade into a back and fill and take a look at the prior all-time high at $900. That's what it did on December 20th, if you go back and look. Now, technically, this stock is set up to print $1,500, if not higher. And it's just a technician thing. But... No, Tesla sets up really well, but I think some of the other names do as well. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Bumpy skies ahead. Airlines ringing in the new year with a rush of canceled flights. The travel trade impact is next. Plus, a chip rip. Dan Nathan is flagging the move in one surging semi-stock. He'll break down what it could mean for the space. There's more Fast Money coming up. Welcome back to Fast Money, a nightmare holiday hangover at the airports. Take a look at today's crowds at Chicago's O'Hare. Travelers still trying to get home following massive flight cancellations due to weather and COVID-related staffing issues. FlightAware reporting more than 4,700 cancellations worldwide as of moments ago. That's just for today. Yet airline stocks, they took off. United Airlines, Alaska, Delta, JetBlue, Southwest rallying today. Why do you think, Tim? I think it's a function of being able to see the other side. Uh, and with the case of a lot of the airlines, look, they gave some guidance in December, mid-December. Some of it wasn't great. I mean, Southwest probably did a favor to all the other character carriers by dropping a, a cost bombshell on, on the market, and, and they suffered. And since that point, airline stocks are up anywhere from 10 to 20 percent. Delta's up almost 20 percent. Uh, they had an investor day where they, they pointed out that 22 is going to be a difficult cost year. Costs are going to rise, uh, you know, chasm, as we say. Costs per available seat miles are going to go up probably 10 to 12 percent. Uh, the, the average seat miles or their capacity is going to shrink by 10 percent. So on some level, it's, it's, a, it's a blend that at least we know where they're going to be. And with airlines, it's always about how, efficiency, how efficiently can they run. Look, for, for Delta on the, in terms of the stock, uh, a break of 42, and I think you've broken that downtrend that we started to see in the middle part of the year. Um, they're the premium play to me. They're the one to own if you're going to own one airline. I do own them. I've known them for a long time, and I, I think they continue to take that premium market. So, um, you know, it's not been an easy trade, but but by 24, if you listen to Delta, they're going to be, you know, roughly eight bucks, a seven bucks a share on earnings, which makes them less than six times a share right now on that number. 2024 seems like a long ways away. I know it's only two years, but two years is a long time in the in the course of a pandemic guy. It may be gone, hopefully knock on what it is. But, you know, we could be in this situation where there are ups and downs. Yeah, but it's interesting. We've talked about this. Look at the airline stocks. I mean, they all collectively, they all topped out in April, I think, when the news in terms of the vaccine was at its best. 
And then they started trading lower. Now the news seemingly is back at its worst again. And these stocks have turned back higher. I think you want to listen to what the stocks are telling you. I'm with Tim on this one. I think they're clearly looking past this variant. And again, as a human being, it's hard to do that. But in terms of an investor and a trader, I think you absolutely have to do that. And you throw a couple other names in that mix. Expedia's had a huge run. And Airbnb is, I think, poised to take out those double tops of around 210 or so. So I think you want to be in these travel names as the news starts to abate and these stocks continue to grind higher. All right, let's get more on travel and what's going on uh, with the fallout from Omicron. Francis Davison is the co-founder and CEO of Sonder, which is trying to go public this month through a SPAC. Uh, Francis, great to have you with us. Uh, your main competitor is Airbnb, VRBO, hotels, all of the above? Well, the, the way I describe Sonder is that we really are a hospitality disruptor. And what that means is that we offer a selection of beautifully designed hotels and apartments that you can stay in for a night, a week, as long as you'd like. And all the services are accessed through the Sonder mobile app. And so we actually run the properties ourselves using our homegrown technology, and that enables us to offer consistency, quality. So really, in a way, we're uh, partnering with some of the, the Airbnbs and the VRBOs and Expedias and Booking.com, just like the hotel chains do. So um, what have you noticed in terms of, of booking trends with Omicron surging? Listen, it's, it's, it's looking that people want to travel. I think that's been the theme across the last 20 months, especially when uh, we have the capacity to offer stays that are contactless, that are safer, uh, you know, using the, the mobile app as a way to get into the room and access services and so on. Uh, we've had a really strong performance versus the average um, hospitality company over the last 18 months as a result of our tech-forward tech nature and our capacity to really tap into stays that are a little bit longer, the digital nomads that are now having a little bit more flexibility of working from anywhere. Um, and so from at least from our perspective, uh, it's it's looking really good. And and frankly, the cases rising from Omicron, as we've saw as we've seen in Delta, which is a pretty scary wave, um, the vaccines have really changed the game in terms of consumer behavior and people are really eager to travel. Francis, thanks for joining us. You know, you mentioned you're trying to go public through a SPAC. It's going to close uh, soon. Um, how does being public um, kind of advance some of the goals that you just talked about? And and I believe that you guys have put out some results over the last two quarters. And we've had Delta. We've had Omicron. So you guys, um, tell us, talk to us a little bit about the performance during these two variants and what you think for the balance of 2022 for your own business. Yeah, well, listen, we've, we've exceeded expectations and we've raised our forecast two times. Uh, Q3 results were up 155% on revenue versus 2020. So really results that we're really excited to post. Um, and that's despite, as you mentioned, headwinds when it comes to uh, some of the turns that, that the virus has taken. And so we feel really you know, optimistic um, as a business. And well, frankly, this transition to the public markets is something that we've envisioned since the start. We want to build the business for you know, generations to come. Um, and we think that this is just the start and, and, you know, accessing the public markets gives us the balance sheet really to lean into the recovery, despite the fact that there's some near term uncertainty. We're not going to lie about that. Uh, but really having uh, a, a strong balance sheet enables, enables us to, to play offense. Francis, great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Francis Davidson of Sonder. Um, Karen, in the uh, travel sort of chain, where would you want to be? Airlines, hotels? I'm not even going to throw out cruise ships because I'm thinking that you're going to say no. But where would you want to be? <laughs> I'm going to say no. I, all of them, tons of debt. For me, this sort of reopen trade, Live Nation, now a Dan name also, and uh, Ulta. So I have no exposure. It's been a big miss on that uh, recovery and all those names, airlines, hotels, cruises. But uh, the balance sheet just kept me away. Yeah. Uh, Dan? Yeah, so I find names like this really interesting, Mel. This is going to be about a $2 billion um, deal when it closes here. And I think that the one thing we spent a lot of time 
this year, or excuse me, last year, this time, talking about all these companies coming public via SPAC. And I think a lot of these names have kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. And I think there's going to be some great companies where a lot of investors, if they do the work over the next year or so, and I think Karen agrees with me here because I've heard her say very similar, are going to find some companies in the private, in the public markets that have small market caps. They're going to grow into these valuations over the years. And I suspect Saunders one of them. All right. Coming up, Nike running higher in the second half of 2021, and one analyst thinks the stock can keep pace going into the new year. We'll break down that call, plus our own Dan Nathan is flagging a big move in one particular semi-stock. The name surging more than 7% today. He'll break down what it could mean for the space next. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Be sure to catch David Faber's full exclusive interview with former Disney CEO Bob Iger. The exec talks about his time at Disney and what may come next. You can listen by following and listening to the Squawk on the Street podcast today on your favorite podcast platform. Well, semiconductors were one of the biggest winners of 2021. Names like NVIDIA, Marvell, Applied Materials, far outpassing gain outpacing gains for the broader market. But one big holding, Taiwan Semi, lagged the rest, up only 10% last year. Today, though, it made a big move. Maybe this is a catch-up move. Dan, what'd you make of it? Yeah, really interesting, Mel. This was the largest uh, holding in the SMH DTF that tracks the semiconductor group. And I think we spent a lot of time over the last few months kind of scratching our heads. Why had this underperformed so dramatically? And the SMH really got a huge lift last year from NVIDIA, AMD, um, Broadcom. So I think it's interesting that this one right out of the gate, I think Goldman was out talking about some pricing power. They're expecting faster growth in 2022 um, over next year. It's kind of a cheap stock. And you think about how they're positioned in some of uh, enhanced sets and some of the exposure to, let's say, crypto, um, this is probably a name that you want to keep a close eye on as it breaks out of this nine or 10 month range right here. Do you like this price action guy or would you go with a tried and true winner from last year, like an NVIDIA? I think the price action is really encouraging. I mean, it's traded sideways now to dance point for quite some time. It's finally breaking out. I think 145 or so is the all time high and you can make a compelling case on valuation. Obviously, look, NVIDIA, we've all loved collectively, but I think Qualcomm at 15 and a half, 16 times next year's numbers is cheap as well. And Qualcomm looks like it's about to go blowing through its prior all-time high. I think in the, if you had to list them, Taiwan Semi is definitely poised, Qualcomm second, and you stay with AMD here. Where's Intel in all this in your view, Tim? Intel, which, by the way, was included in the new Dogs of the Dow list, so um, the top 10 yield yielding stocks in the Dow. Not that that matters, hasn't been a winning strategy, but it's sort of interesting just to see where, where it is and how it stacks up. It, it, and it gives investors some patience to hold this long term for a turnaround that's, you know, you know we're talking 30 to $40 billion of, of CapEx over the next couple of years. Um, good news. But, you know, back to Taiwan. Sammy, what people don't realize is, uh, again, they who have stolen Intel's lunch Two-thirds of their revenues are from leading-edge technologies or seven nanometers or, or, or lower. And so it's not as if they don't have uh, a pretty exciting portfolio and pricing power, which I think Dan referenced. I, I think they benefit as some of these uber-cyclical chips um, you know, begin to underperform. And, and this doesn't even count. You know, they're, they're now starting to talk to the German government uh, about providing 28 and 22 nanometer for their auto industries. I mean, they, you've seen this. They did it in Japan. They've done it here. Um, I, they're arguably one of the most important companies in the world that a lot of people still don't know a lot about. Yeah, we showed you Cisco. We showed you Cisco because it got booted out of the Dow, the Dow because of its huge performance last year. Karen, do you see value, though, in Intel? 
Uh, not for me. I mean, I, I see that it's inexpensive. It should be inexpensive. They clearly have a lot to prove. And so until they start doing that, which hasn't really started, then I think it's sort of we'll, we'll keep this multiple. I agree with uh, all the gentlemen. Taiwan Semi is really interesting. And also the guy I think Qualcomm is interesting. That's probably the, one of those two would be where I'd go first. All right. Coming up, when options traders betting big on the banks, is it time to add the financials to your portfolio ahead of earnings? More on that trade. But first run, do not walk to buy Nike shares. Guggenheim, that's it says, by the way, uh, naming it their top pick for 2022. The bull case is next, much more fast right after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at shares in Nike moving lower today, despite being named a best idea for 2022 over at Guggenheim. It's our call of the day. Analysts at the firm bullish on the brand's leading footprint in the metaverse and its dominant market share. Um, you know, to be fair, the metaverse is mentioned as an example of, of Nike being digital forward and looking forward to the future in terms of strategy, Tim. I'm not sure if it's actually entered into estimates at all, but it, it is symbolic of where Nike is headed. But where Nike has been, and, and, you know, they've actually been in the metaverse for, for some time. And if you're playing Roblox, you know, which I'm not, but, you know, you're there. So, so the, the story on Nike, though, is digital. And they're at 11% digital growth, according to their last numbers year over year, for a business that they, they want to be 50% digital um, in the short term. The gross margin up at 45.9% um, was one of the real highlights of the last quarter. I, I think uh, innovation has is, is really been the story of the last four or five years. And North America... Uh, so dominant in terms of the growth that it's it's alleviating some of the concerns that at least have been China. Um, John Donahoe, I mean, really, again, an efficiency leader. And this is part of the reason why the company, I think, continues to be, uh, you know, building that gross margin. Karen, what are your thoughts on Nike at this point? And, and are there other retailers you think should be in the metaverse or you like their strategy in the metaverse? Well, uh, so for Nike, I mean, it trades at a premium multiple. It absolutely should trade at a premium multiple. It was an interesting piece. It's, they don't just get there on multiple expansion, which is not my favorite way to get to a higher price target. It's earnings. And they're talking about earnings improvement. And, you know, we've seen some of the, the hiccups that they've had, not just them, but uh, in Vietnam and elsewhere that I think will be resolved. For me, I don't own Nike. Nike, I do own Capri. I do own Target. Walmart, I own some Foot Locker, which I just think is ridiculously cheap. Obviously, the more that Nike goes digital, the less good that is for Foot Locker. But I still think there's plenty of room there. And in terms of NFTs, I, I haven't bought one yet um, really? or made one. I would. Yeah. I, I do you have one. I'll buy yours. If no, you I, make I, one. I'll, I'll buy it. You know, our, it's going to be our 15th Fast Money's 15th anniversary soon. And I ah. wanted to see if we could make an NFT. I don't know if anybody would want to buy the thing. So that's a whole other. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I'll buy it just so we don't get embarrassed. <laughs> oh. Yeah, <laughs> that's easy money. Um, I have an I have an earnest question, though. Another one for the show. Number two in 2022. What are the margins on digital goods? on a pair of digital sneakers. <laughs> it seems like a fantastic business. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it is. Yeah, I, you I mean, know, listen. Oh, sorry. Did you say no, Dan, Dan? Dan. 
Yeah, yeah. Come on, Tim. Give me a break here, man. No, but I think the way Tim uh, <laughs> lays it out is pretty good. I mean, these guys, one of the reasons this stock has this premium multiple over the last few years, and obviously it always has, is what they've done in digital. But that's not the metaverse, right? That's just e-commerce. And the fact that he knows that he's spending all these late nights on Roblox, you know, dealing with digital sneakers and everything like that. They just made this acquisition a few weeks ago. I mean, this is an area that they're going to flex. And if they are really um, at the forefront of fashion, which they certainly have, of course, that you have the ability to replicate at a much higher margin some of the trends that you do IRL in the metaverse. In real life, Guy, IRL. Mm -hmm. Coming up, are the financials on fire when options traders betting on a smoking rally ahead? The move is next and later. Chipotle offering a new meatless option, but shares are getting burned today. Our traders will dish on that one. Much more fast money in two. Welcome back. Here's what's coming up on Matt. Jim is naming names and picking stocks that have the most potential in 2022. The trades are ahead. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox at the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now with the info on your screen. Meantime, check out the banks opening 2022 with a bang. The XLF Financials ETF jumping more than 1% to kick off the year. One option traders betting almost $1 million that there are plenty more gains to come. Mike Coe joins us with the action. Hey, Mike. Happy New Year, Melissa. So, yes, in the financials, we saw a lot of bullish activity today. XLF, we saw calls outpacing puts by about two and a half to one on above average volume. That was largely the result of a purchase of 20,000 of the February 41, 44 strike call, uh, call spreads. They were spending about 40 cents for those. Buyers of those are betting that XLF could rise somewhere in the neighborhood of five to 10 percent by the third Friday in February. And by the way, we did see similar activity in a lot of the top constituents of XLF as well. Yeah, uh, huge gains, JP Morgan, City, Wells Fargo really jumped out at me today. Guy, I don't know if you were watching that one. A bunch of them were up. I want, yeah, no, absolutely. By the way, Karen nailed Wells Fargo when it was at its mm-hmm. worst in terms of news, she stepped in. But Morgan Stanley sticks out to me. This is the name that Stan's talked about, uh, everybody's talked about, but Dan brought it up. A couple of years ago, they are in the right businesses. They've transitioned. They're the most diverse, in my opinion. And I think they're poised not only to take out that 105 all-time high we saw, but to take out probably the 115, 120 level in earnings on January 19th. Morgan Stanley sticks out to me as a best in breed right now. All right. Mike Coe, thanks to you for more Options Action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, it is Meatless Monday, and Chipotle has a brand-new plant-based offering. we got all the details next, plus your final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Chipotle sinking today after releasing its new plant-based chorizo. The new menu item is certified vegan, contains 16 grams of protein per serving. Apparently, it is made with fresh peas, not pea protein isolate like Beyond Meat. Fresh peas. Um, Guy, do you think this moves the needle? It moves certain things, Mel. For me, you know exactly what it moves in terms of the stock. (laughs) I don't think it moves the needle all that much. Um, I don't like peas in its purest form. I can only imagine what they're like in the chorizo form. Uh, remember, they had cauliflower rice, so they're into you know having vegetables stand in for other things. There's a picture of it. Looks pretty good. We had smell a vision. We might be able to smell it. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. 
nobody likes his own material more than Guy Adami, but I, I, I like Bank of America a lot more than I like his material. And I think actually the stocks are going higher along with rates into earnings. Does that say much? Uh, Karen. <laughs> yeah, I like Kohl's. It's ridiculously cheap. It's down $13 from where they put up good numbers. And we'll see in two weeks if the activism of Selim wants to come back or not. Dan. Yeah, the XBI, Mel, the S&P Biotech ETF. I think it's a little beaten up here. I think you have a move above 20 pretty soon. You might see 130 quickly after that. Guy Dami. My constitution came up day one of 2022. Amen. I think it blows through its recent all-time high. <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast. Matt and Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.